0: Ephesians chapter 5, we'll read from verse 22 down through verse 28. We'll read the odd-numbered verses together. I'll begin uh, in verse 22 alone. The Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Ready? Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Look down at verse number 33 and let's read that together. Here we go. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. We're preaching through our theme this year, Love Works. Uh, Our series right now is The People I Love and we're going to uh, look at the family, the family, and this week we're going to look at loving my spouse. Loving my family, and in particular, my spouse. Before we pray, let me just say this. Not everyone here is married. I understand that. And so we're not spending weeks and weeks and weeks preaching on marriage. Uh, This is one sermon, and I'll say this. If you're here and you hope to be married one day and you're not, I would really, really pay attention Uh, This is God's biblical model. If you're here today and you don't ever plan on getting married, uh, I would tell you it's good for you to understand the biblical model because you're going to have influence on those who will one day get married. And so everyone here can take something from the message today and either allow it to help them or help others. Obviously, those of you in here today that are married, whether you've been married for six months or 60 years, uh, we uh, need to be reminded of God's plan for marriage and Be reminded how to follow that. Let's pray this morning. Lord, would you help us as we look in your word, look look at the truths of your word. Uh, Lord, not to be offended by your word, but Lord, to grow thereby. Lord, all of us here today that are married uh, could have a better marriage, could improve. And Lord, uh, there are those here today that are in a struggling marriage. And Lord, may we self-evaluate and do our part to be the best version of a husband or wife that we can be. There are those in here today that will one day get married. And Lord, we pray that you would help them to um, take careful note and listen carefully. And Lord, not enter to a marriage that's broken, but Lord, enter to a marriage that's careful. Enter a marriage that's biblical. Help us, Lord, today to understand love as it pertains to the husband and the wife. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, let's take just a minute and help. uh, I want to help you see what we will be covering in this series, the people I love. And so if you put these up here one at a time, last week we looked at loving my heavenly father. Loving my Heavenly Father. We looked at the importance of loving God. We talked about how God loves us so intensely, and He desires for that love to be reciprocated back. Uh, we're, beginning a, uh, uh, we're beginning today looking at loving my family. Loving my family, and um, uh, that should not say heavenly family. That's my fault. I built the slides with the Joes on vacation, and so I made the mistake. Loving my heavenly family. I wish my family was heavenly, amen? Uh, but it, 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 it isn't. Loving my family, and and we'll look at, um, uh, we'll look at uh, loving my spouse. And next week, we'll look at loving my children. And so next week, we'll look at a parenting-type sermon. And then uh, and then after that, we're going to look at loving my fellow man. Loving my fellow man. And we'll look at, th- we'll, we'll be covering that topic for three weeks. We'll be looking at loving my neighbor, loving the broken, and loving the brethren. And then we'll finish by looking at loving my foe. Loving my foe. Just pretend the word heavenly isn't there. Amen. Loving my foe, and because uh, lo- foes aren't heavenly, generally. Uh, and we'll talk about how to love your enemy. Maybe the hardest commandment in the Bible is learning to love your enemy and so to bring this full circle um, some of you here today may be in a marriage where you feel like your husband or wife is your enemy and can I tell you that uh, there have been moments in 12 years of marriage where uh, Angela and I have been at so great of odds that I have felt like her enemy and she has felt like my enemy and And so you you may be there right now. That might be the case for you. We're going to talk about how today to love our spouse. I'm embarrassed by the slide, so please get that off the screen. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, Loving my spouse. Loving my spouse. Now, I have learned this. The farther distance that I keep from someone, the easier it is to love them. How many of you understand this truth? I can love anyone from a distance. I can love anyone if they're far enough away. Um, why? Less opportunities for friction. Uh, the more I'm around someone, the easier it is to uh, butt heads with them. Uh, the more effort it takes to love them. When I was dating Angela, I was falling in love with her. I had this naive thought that we would get married and we would never, ever have an argument. I actually believed that at one point. And then five minutes after we were married... Okay, it took a little longer than that. Um, But it didn't take long. Boy, was I wrong. Um, I have never... I have never argued harder, been angrier or more frustrated with anyone than my wife. How many of you here are married can say the same. Your spouse has... Push you more to the edge more than anyone. Uh, Some of you are honest. The rest of you are lying. Amen? (laughs) And you know what? She has felt the same toward me. Being married, you see each other at your best and at your absolute worst. Um, Archbishop Ryan was visiting a small parish in a mining district one day for the purpose of administering confirmation and asked one nervous little girl what matrimony is. Here was her answer. She said, It is a state of terrible torment, which those who enter are compelled to undergo for a time to prepare them for a brighter and better world. (laughs) No, no, corrected her rector. That isn't matrimony. That's the definition of purgatory. (laughs) Leave her alone, said the archbishop. Maybe she is right. What do you and I know about it anyway? Someone once said, "Love is blind, but marriage is a real eye opener." Is it not? Um, I have I have talked to couples; they're just head over heels in love, and I can see glaring character errors. And I say, "Hey, hey, you, have you have you seen this? Have you seen that? Have you considered?" That this here is cute to you now, but it's not gonna be so cute after you get married. And no, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And I, 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 you're, you're making, you're making this up. You're exaggerating. And then after they get married, it's, oh, that's what you were talking about. Love is blind, but marriage is a real eye-opener. Marriage is a wonderful experience where you get to share your life with someone very different than you. Those differences are either going to pull you together or they're going to push you apart. Please hear what I'm about to say, and if you're taking notes, I recommend you write this down. A good marriage is built on good habits. A poor marriage is built on poor habits. A good marriage is built on good habits. A poor marriage is built on poor habits. If your marriage is bad, that's because there are some habits in your marriage that are bad. You say, well, my husband or my wife, uh, let's stop all of that right now and let's quit uh, uh, blaming each other and let's look in the mirror and let's see what we are doing wrong. Uh, if you ever come see me for marital counseling or marital advice because your marriage is struggling... One of the first exercises that I will walk a couple through is I will look at the husband and he is, he has got the bullets in his gun ready to go. He is ready to tell me how awful his wife is, how terrible she is. And the wife is sitting there with her list of everything her husband does wrong. And they're, they're waiting for me to say, okay, sir, tell me what is the problem. And boy, it's, it, he's ready. He's, he's thunk it through. He knows what he's going to say. She's thought it through. She knows what she's going to say. And I'll look at him and I'll say, okay, sir, I I want you to tell me, not what your wife thinks, but I want you to tell me where you are falling short as a husband. You have never seen somebody... Uh, but, uh, but uh, uh, Alright, ma'am, I want you to tell me what you're doing wrong as a wife. Now, generally, by the time we get to the wife... She knows it's coming, so she's taking some time to prepare. You see, because I'm respectful to the ladies. I make them go second. I let them go second with that. Um, uh, But we know what the other one's doing wrong. This morning, I want you to set aside any problem that your spouse is bringing into the marriage, and I want you instead to look in the mirror. So with that said, no throwing elbows this morning. No elbowing each other. Are you listening to that right there? Did you hear what he said right there? And and some of you would, would bruise each other's sides. And, ma'am, you were taken from his side, not to be a pain in his side. Amen? So no throwing elbows this morning. A good marriage is built on good habits. Uh, and so one of those habits would be kissing. If you want to, uh, someone wrote this, uh, actually there was a, a uh, research done uh, by German uh, physicians and psycholo- psychologists, here's what they said. If you want to be happy, healthy, successful, and live longer, give your spouse a kiss before you go to work each day. Uh, the, the study uh, done by these uh, physicians and psychologists, uh, they did this for an insurance company. According to Dr. Arthur Sasbo, the study found that those who kiss their spouse each morning miss less work because of illness than those who do not. Uh, they also have fewer auto accidents on the way to work. They earn 20-30% to 30% more, uh, more monthly and they live about 5 years more than those who don't even get, give each other a peck on the cheek. What is the reason for this? Dr. Sasbo says he thinks that the kissers begin the day with a positive attitude. A kiss signifies a sort of seal of approval in the eyes of Dr. Sasbo and his colleagues, and they believe those who don't experience it for whatever reason go out the door feeling not quite right about themselves. Someone read this and made the joke and said, you could write a best-selling book, uh, 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 pucker up to get rich and, and live a long life. <laughs> but... Um, it's important that we stay committed to making the marriage work. God has commanded us to love him first. What's the second greatest commandment? Love thy neighbor as thyself. I can't think of a neighbor closer to you if you're married than the uh than the person in your life that shares your home and the person in your life that shares your bed and the person in your life that occasionally shares uh, your pajama pants. And so um, that was supposed to be funny um, Let's begin with, looking, with talking about how to love uh, our spouses this morning We're going to look at four thoughts Let's jump right in Number one, notice God's plan for marital love God's plan for marital love Now before I get into the subpoints, let me just say this What I'm about to say flies hard in the face of culture Hard in the face of culture the women's liberation movement uh, would label what I'm about to say as hate speech. Um, this isn't, um, I'm not standing up here saying this because I hope to build some great large church here. Now, I, I want our church to grow. That's a big deal, but I care more about preaching truth. I'm going to be nice about it, but what the Bible says, if it flies in the face of culture, guess who's wrong? Culture's wrong. Uh, the women's liberation movement, if they don't agree with this, uh, would be wrong. You may sit there this evening and say, well, I just don't, or this morning rather, you may sit there and say, I just, I just don't agree with what you're saying. Everything I'm about to say is back with Bible. And so if you don't agree with me, it's God's word that you have to take up the disagreement with. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and be mean, but I do want you to understand that every couple I've ever known that's followed this model has had a happy marriage. The couples that don't follow this model, what is our divorce rate in America? That divorce rate isn't there because people are following the Bible model. It's because they're going against the Bible model. And so let's look at it this morning. Have an open heart. Have an open mind. Don't be quick to attack and defend. Rather, keep an open heart to what the Word of God says. God's plan for marital love. Letter A, notice, husbands... Uh, A devoted love. A devoted love. Look with me at verse number 25 of Ephesians 5. It says, Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Look down at verse number 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife, loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Look down at verse number 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife. Even as himself. The number one thing that a wife is looking for from her man is for her, for him rather, to love her. For him to love her. Uh, I would like to ask all of the marital ladies a, a question. And I just want you to answer in your heart. Don't answer out loud or maybe answer under your breath. As a married woman, can you think of anything that you desire more than to know that your husband loves you with all of his heart? Can you think of anything more important in marriage than to know that your husband is loving you with a devoted love? that He has eyes for you and you only, and that He is totally devoted to showing you that He loves you. Can you think of anything in the entire world that means more to you than that? Now, I've asked that question to a lot of women uh, in uh, my my office, in a counseling-type setting with their husbands sitting right there next to them, and I've never had a woman give me another answer. I've never had a woman say, "Uh, Pastor, love is important, but let me give you this word. Let me give you this concept. Every woman I've ever asked that question, to has unanimously said, yes, pastor, I want my husband to love me above all. That is what means the most to me. And so husbands we're commanded to love our wives. And that love, as we looked at uh, in the past with God's love to us, that love is not conditional. That love is unconditional. You love regardless of how your wife behaves. You love regardless of how well your wife follows the biblical model. You love in a devoted way. You give your whole heart to loving her. You, you, you put that above any uh, venture, any work opportunity. You you put that ahead of any friendship you have, uh, even with uh, your buddies. You put that uh, ahead of uh, of making more money and and opportunities where you could spend time, uh, uh, lots of time away from your family. Your wife must come first when it comes to human relationships. Obviously, God is number one, but right behind number God uh, God at number one, you are to put your wife on a pedestal and you are to love that woman with all of your being. Uh, a, A lot of Baptist preachers are really good at preaching Ephesians 5.22, wives submit, and we'll get to that concept in a minute. But let me tell you why most women have a hard time submitting to their husbands, because most husbands are not very good at loving their wives. If you men would learn how to actually love your wife and care for her and cherish her and 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 develop that, foster that relationship and pour yourself uh, totally into her, most of your wives wouldn't have to be told to follow your lead. They would do it naturally. They would do it willingly. They would do it with a heart uh, uh, that, that that it just came as a natural result of you pouring yourselves. Into them, uh, a brother, brother Morales has come here, and he brings these pithy quotes with him, and I enjoy getting them from him. One of them that he has uh, uh, said several times around me, when we're talking about things, he says, uh, "The husband I be is the wife I see. The husband I be is the wife I see." Hey, sir, quit complaining about how terrible your wife is. Quit complaining about how your wife doesn't meet the mark or reach the standard. Instead look in the mirror and realize you are the leader of that marriage. You are the leader of that relationship. And so if you don't like the shortcomings in your wife, maybe she's learning those from you. Men, it's time we step up to the plate and we start loving our wives as God has commanded. Uh, I want to just give you some words to jot down on this side that I believe loving your wife entails. And these aren't going to be on the screen. These are just coming from um, uh, some, some, some premarital counseling that I've done through the years. And so, here's what a wife is looking for in marriage. And, and again, I don't mean to speak in broad terms. I understand there may be exceptions to this. But generally speaking, here's what a wife is looking for out of her husband when it comes to love. Uh, the first word I'd like you to write down is the word provision. This is for the men. Write this down. Ladies, don't write it down and shove it in your husband's face, okay? Men, you're the ones that write this down. Provision. They want to know that you can provide. Now, that ladies, that doesn't mean you can't go to work and make money. And sometimes women out earn men, whatever. But God has called the man to be the provider. He sent Adam out into the field uh, to uh, to work, and he asked Eve to take care of the home. I understand that that's not how every home works, and that's okay, but it is your place to make sure that uh, the needs are provided for. Write down the word protection. Protection. Provision. Protection. And when it comes to protection, you are to protect your wife physically, you are to protect your wife emotionally, and you are to protect your wife spiritually. You are to be her protector. Write this down. Moral principles. Moral principles. Someone in your home has to take a stand for what is right. And for far too long, men have shirked their responsibility in being the spiritual leader in the home. And the wife has had no choice but to step up and do it. Because the husband wants to go to work, come home, crash on the couch, and be a deadbeat dad and a deadbeat husband. And so mom has to get the children up and take them to church. Mom has to take the children and teach them uh, the stories in the Bible and teach them right from wrong. And Mom has to be the one that lays down the rules uh, Husbands, it's time we step up And we get some moral principles in our lives And we lead the way When your wife is looking for you to love her She's looking for you to live a life of moral principles She's looking for you to provide She's looking for you to protect Let me give you one more And This one might be a little more uh, minor But still, nevertheless, it's important to our wives That's the word presentation presentation. You know, when I walk out the door, if my shirt isn't ironed, um, and I've made this mistake, my wife's got 15 shirts for me ironed in the closet, but my favorite shirt isn't there. My favorite shirt is wrinkled over in the corner, and so I put on the wrinkled shirt with 15 shirts ironed, and I walk out the door, and you know what she thinks? She thinks everyone's judging her based on the way I look. How many of you wives agree with that statement? Men, present yourselves well. Let your wife help you. And some of you men look like you belong on the corner of GQ. Jake Okai. Um, he hates when I do that. That's why I just did it. And, and I, Rose, did you dress him? He does that himself? Always. And so, uh, you know what? Rose is proud of the way Jake dresses. I'm sure of it. And it matters. And so, uh, that's how you make your wife feel Loved, a devoted love. Letter B, uh, let's talk to the wives for a few minutes. Notice, a deferential love. A deferential love. Look back with me at verse number 22 of Ephesians 5. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands In everything. Let's say I got into my car this afternoon and I was driving past the park here on, uh, uh, Main Street Putney, Booth Park. And I looked to my right and I saw a two-headed dog. You know what I'd look at that dog and I'd say, that's weird. That's a monster. Are you listening this morning? I know there's people moving around, but please keep your attention up here on me. Anything with more than one head is a monster. And we live in a society that is telling women that they're not to be their husband's completer, they're to be their husband's competitor. Do you know that you can defer to someone without being less than them? Case in point. Jesus Christ, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he deferred to the will of his Father. Does that make the Son any less of God than the Father? No. Uh Uh-uh. In fact, had Jesus not been willing to say, thy will be done, not mine, you and I wouldn't even have a chance at getting into heaven. Because Jesus was willing to defer to his Father, guess what? Guess what? You and I get to go to heaven. God has called you ladies to follow. He's called you to follow the lead of your husbands. Now, Satan has been hard at work. Uh, By the way, turn in your Bibles over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Hold your place in Ephesians 5. Satan has been hard at work making uh, men act like women and women act like men. He's pushing men to be soft and effeminate, and he's pushing women to be strong and masculine, and in every way, attitude, dress, culture. And you know, um, it's, it's time that we have men that start acting like men, and women that follow God's pattern for womanhood. Now, these verses in 1 Timothy 2... I would say, or maybe even a little more extreme to the culture today than what we read in Ephesians 5. Look at 1 Timothy 2. Let the women learn in silence. Speaking of a church, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And look at the reasoning here. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, uh, please understand that the same things we're dealing with in the church era today... They were dealing with way back when, when Paul wrote to his preacher boy Timothy, who was the pastor uh, of a church, I believe at this time in Ephesus. And, and what he was saying is that uh, we have this uprise of women who are trying to teach men how to live. And God says that is not the model. The model is that the men teach, and women are to sit there and learn in silence. And if they have a question, they're not to boisterously stand up and challenge that man in church. Rather, they're to go home and ask their husband. And their husband should be competent enough to lead the way and give the answer. You say, well, well, pastor, what if my husband doesn't know the answer? Then he should get in the Bible and figure out the answer and come back to you. You say, well, pastor, what if I'm not married? Or what if my husband isn't a Christian? What if my husband isn't saved? Then here's what I would challenge you to do. Outside of the realm of a church service... Find a church leader, one of the pastors uh, of our church, uh, uh, one of the deacons of our church. Go to a lady in the church who's established and older and been saved for many years and ask them to help you to understand the passage. But it is never God's plan to have women up front leading men. It is God's plan to have men lead the women. And so, ladies, you will do your husband A lot of help if you will get on his page and let him lead. You say, but Pastor, my husband, do you understand how incompetent he is? (laughs) Maybe he acts that way because you treat him that way. Maybe he won't lead because you won't get out of the way and let him lead. And again, I'm not trying to be mean this morning, but God has an order. Again, I'll just repeat what I said at the very beginning of the sermon. I have yet to meet a couple who follows God's model who is miserable. If you find them, bring them to me. I'd love to meet them. God wants the man to lead and the woman to follow. And that doesn't mean that you have to get stepped on. In our marriage, and let me speak to the men for a minute, in our marriage, uh, my my wife and I have come to the conclusion that when there's a really big decision that needs to be made, I make those. On some of the more minor decisions that need to be made, uh, I'll defer to her. For instance, we're going out to eat and uh, uh, we want to decide where to eat. I am not going to fight with Angela on whether or not we go to Burger King or McDonald's. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to fight with her whether we go to Outback or Longhorn. I'm just not going to do it. If she has a preference, I'm going to defer to her because that's a minor, uh, more of a minor decision. And you say, well, Pastor, how's that worked out for your marriage where she makes the more minor decisions and you make the more major decisions? We've been married for 12 years, and I'll tell you what, when we get to a big decision, I'll let you know. She's really good at deferring to me and and letting me lead, and we've had some big decisions, and praise God, we've been together on those. And I I get her advice, and I treat her as my number one advisor, and I do not make a big decision unless she is on the same page with me. But at the end of the day, the husband's called to lead, and the wife is called to defer. Notice number two, God's parallel for marital love. God's parallel for marital love. Now we're going to move begin moving quickly here. Look at verse number 23 of Ephesians chapter 5. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Look at the parallel here. Uh, The husband is to love the wife, be the head of the wife, the way that Jesus Christ is the head of the church or the leadership of the church. Look here. And he is the savior of the body. Who is the savior of the body? The husband is the savior of the marital body as Christ is the savior of the church. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, "...love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, the word of God, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish." So down at verse 33, the end of the verse, "...and the wife see that she reverence her husband." Uh, As the church is to submit to the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ, the wife is to see that she submits to the leadership of her husband. As Christ loves the church, as broken as the church is, as stubborn and uh, 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 out of bounds as the church at times act, as, as sinful as the church can be, as disobedient as the church can be, Christ just keeps on loving and keeps on loving and keeps on loving. And God says here... That I made marriage so that the world would be able to look at a husband and wife doing it the biblical way and have an idea of what it looks like when Christ loves the church. It ought to be, to the couples here this morning, if I could speak to both of you, it ought to be that people that are not saved look at your marriage and say, I want to know more about your Christ. It ought to be that they see how that your marriage works and how that the husband dotes on and loves all over his wife, how that the wife uh, 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 willingly and sweetly and meekly follows her husband and lets him lead and, 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 and be uh, her head. And they look at that and they say, You know what? I, with all my heart, want to know more about your Jesus. That's why God created marriage. He wanted an earthly representation of His love for the church. Now, the, the church is meant to be the bride of Christ. Jesus died in order to create the church. That's selfless. Husband's going to ask you a question this morning. How selfless is your love for your wife? You, you stop at the store and you're picking up, you know, the bread and the milk or whatever it is that you stop and get. And if you're like me, you go through the checkout aisle and there's that candy that's there. That beef jerky that's there. And it, it, you know, it like calls your name. Richard. Get a Snickers. You're acting grouchy. You're acting like Betty White. And and I want to reach over and grab it. And then, you know, you have to scarf it down before you get home and hide the evidence. So your, (laughs) your spouse doesn't find out. I'm telling on myself here. Did you ever consider, husbands, as you're going through the line, that maybe your wife would like you to bring her something? Did you ever think that, you know, maybe on special days that you can open your wallet and spend a little bit of money on her, show her that you love her? Um, aren't you glad that God pours down His blessings on His church every day? And He doesn't hold back? Look at this nice building and property that we own. Look at the, the comfort that we enjoy here. God is pouring down his love all over White Oak Baptist Church. And God looks at the husbands and says, I want you to do the same. Pour down your love on your wives. And we are called to share that parallel. That parallel. And we are called to be selfless in our love. Jesus not only died for the church, he sent the Holy Spirit to lead the church Into righteousness. Now, here's the one point I want to drive home here uh, under point two. Here's the one truth I want you to really take away from this truth. Many husbands and wives that have a happy marriage, do you know what they're after? They're after fun in life. There's nothing wrong with having fun. My wife and I, this is my sweet wife right here, she hates what I'm doing right now. This is my sweet wife right here, we have a lot of fun. We laugh together, uh, we cry together, uh, especially when she beats me up. We really cry together. No, she doesn't beat me up. But we have a lot of fun in life. But do you know that God did not call me to get married so that I could have fun God called me to marry her because one day, this sweet woman I'm married to, she is going to stand before Jesus Christ. And it is my duty to prepare her for that moment when she gives account of her life to God for the way that she has lived. He did not call me to marry her so I could enjoy weekend getaways. He did not call me to marry her so I would just have a companion to run around and have fun in life. No, 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 no. It is my job to prepare this woman to be ready to stand before God. And it is her job to prepare me to stand before God and give an account of my life. How are you doing with that? You are to sanctify. You are to cleanse. How? By the washing of the water of God's Word. You are to use the Word of God to help each other. You know how you do that? You pray for each other. You know how you do that? You catch each other reading the Bible and having devotions. You know how you do that? You encourage each other to get up on Sunday morning and go to church. And then you push each other to go to church again on Sunday evening again. You push each other to get your family involved in the activities and uh, the program here of the church. You push each other to be more and more like Jesus Christ. God's parallel for marital love. Let's notice number three, God's process for marital love. Look with me uh, at Ephesians chapter 5 and look down at verse number 31. And here we see the process. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. In this verse we have the, the three-step process to a successful marriage. Notice letter A. Notice the word leave. Leave. Look look with me back at verse number 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. You are called to leave. What does that mean? Everybody, look up here at me. Okay, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, I'm just trying to preach the Bible. It is not God's plan for you to get married and live at home with your mom and dad. It's not. God wants you to physically leave behind your parents. Now, in all fairness, there are extenuating circumstances where you fall on hard times and you may need to crash at one of your parents' place for a short time. Uh, As long as that is temporary and the plan is to move out and be your own family, there is nothing wrong with that. But here, the man grows up, he leaves behind mom and dad. The woman grows up, she leaves behind mom and dad. They come together and they start their own life together. They are to leave. That word leave means more than just a physical leaving. It also means the leaving behind of a jurisdiction. Please listen to me on this. Uh, uh, but as long as you're living under the roof of your parents, it is their responsibility, regardless of your age, to make sure that you behave yourself. We, we have gotten into this uh, world where we believe that when someone turns 18, that means they get to call all the shots on their life. Who determined what, uh, that 18 was an adult anyway? I don't find that in the Bible. Nor do I find 21. Nor do I find 25. Hey, listen, if you're living at home with mom and dad, I don't care if you're 45. If you're living at home with mom and dad and they're paying your bills, they get to tell you what to do. You understand that? You say, well, but pastor, I, you know, I'm an adult. I should get to make my own decisions. Then be an adult and pay your own way through life. Go out and get your own apartment. Or pay them rent to live there. But you want to live at home with mom and dad, mom and dad get to tell you what to do. Now, you get married and you move out, guess what? Mom and dad don't get to tell you what to do anymore. There are some parents in here that need to hear me out on this. You need to let go of your child that's married. That day your daughter said, I do, to that grimy boy... Ben's going after his son-in-law sitting in the same pew here. That day that your daughter said, I do, to that grimy boy, you lost all jurisdiction to get to tell her what to do. And a lot of parents stick their nose in their children's, married children's business and create problems. I knew of a couple once that got married and they uh, made the mistake of moving into mom and dad's basement and... And, uh, the parents just kept trying to stick their nose in the business of that marriage and, uh, uh, the wife wouldn't have hardly anything to do with him physically because she was afraid of what would be heard or known and, and, and so he got frustrated and wanted to move out and she refused to move out and finally he gave her an ultimatum and said, move out with me or this marriage is over. She went down to the courthouse and got a divorce. You leave. You leave. And the jurisdiction is over. Let me give you one more thought under this leave. You also leave behind the sins of your parents. Some of you here may have grown up in an angry home. You don't get to bring that angry spirit into your marriage. You leave that in the, you leave that in the behind. You say, Pastor, I want to... I, and, and listen, it may be hard sometimes... But you leave that behind. Some of you in here may have grown up in a home where mom and dad were covetous people. And they had to have the latest and greatest. And they racked up credit card debt. And they're constantly in debt. But but, but outwardly they look right. Listen, don't bring that into your marriage. You leave that behind. Those sin habits that your parents, uh, you, you grew up watching, you leave those behind and you start afresh as a couple. Leave. Notice letter B, the word cleave. Look back at verse 31. Therefore, before this call shall a man leave his father and wife and be joined unto his wife. Be joined unto his wife. This phrase has a double meaning. Be joined unto his wife. What is this phrase talking about? This phrase is talking about marital intimacy. Marital intimacy. But what does marital intimacy mean? Marital intimacy begins with emotional intimacy. Write that down. Emotional intimacy. Here's the problem with a lot of marriages. The husband wants sexual intimacy without emotional intimacy. He expects the wife to kowtow and submit, and he'll throw Ephesians 5.22 in her face, but he's not willing to dwell with his wife according to knowledge. Hey, sir, how about you take some time and love on your wife and be emotionally connected with her? I'm amazed at how wives expect us men to read their minds. Have you noticed how this works? My wife, if she needs something from the store, you know what she'll say? She'll say, I'm going to go to the store and get a gallon of milk. Do you know what she wants me to say? Oh, honey, I'll go for you. Instead of just saying, can you go to the store and get a gallon of milk, that would be communicating on the highest level. But what's worse is if I don't go to the store and get the gallon of milk, she'll come home and, you know, an hour later, why aren't you talking to me? Well, I wanted you to go to the store. Why Why didn't you ask me? All right, how many of you men know exactly what I'm talking about? Help me out here. Can I tell you what that's all about? And and I'm, I'm being hyperbolic for this sense of humor. But do you understand what this is about? Women want to know, they want to be so emotionally connected to you that you can read their mind. Now, I know that that is difficult. But their desire is closeness. Closeness. Please understand God's plan for a marriage coming together that be being joined together ultimately is talking about sexual intimacy. And 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 and, and listen that three letter word sex is good. It's created by God and is meant only to be within the confines of marriage. Anything outside the confines of marriage is outside of God's plan and is a broken thing, is a sinful thing. And it's a sin against your own body. And listen, I'm not judging anyone who's done that or even living in that. But please understand God's plan is for you to leave father and mother First, be married, and then be joined in marriage through the marital act after you have committed to live a life together. And it's time that husbands begin to dwell with their wives according to knowledge. And let that emotional intimacy build toward sexual intimacy. Leave, cleave, and lastly, notice the word weave. Weave. Look at verse 31 again. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined into his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Jesus worded it this way in Matthew 19.6. He said, Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. What happens when you cleave to each other with a spirit of commitment? Give it enough time and your lives will be woven together like a wooden wicker basket. You two become one. I think of Joan Syrette and her husband. How many years have you been married, Joan? 65 years. You know what? I bet they can just about finish each other's sentences. I happen to know that in the last year, Joan has had to run her husband to the hospital many times. She's had lots of nights where she's gotten very little sleep. Because he's been sick. You know what, though? There's no place Joan would rather be than in the emergency room with her husband when he's having a hard time. You know why? Their lives are woven together. Pauline, how many years have you been married? 61 years. Mike and Marie are sitting over. How many years have you two been married? 60. You know what's interesting is if you look at Mike and Marie, while they're still clearly, distinctly male and female... After so many years of being married to each other and cleaving to each other, you almost start to look alike. <laughs> and I know that's funny. I know that's funny. But they walk about the same speed, right? They, they can finish each other's sentences. They know each other inside and out, upside and down in every which way. That's God's plan, folks. That's God's plan is that we leave our parents, we cleave, and we spend a lifetime of cleaving, and you wake up one day, and you've been so committed to each other... That your lives are woven together. We have other marriages in here that have been a long time. Mark and Sue on autonomous. John and Carlos Segru. The Okais, The Owens. And there's others in here. You've been married. I'm not trying to leave anyone out, but you've been married for for decades and decades. And you, uh, the, the Urbanowits. You see uh, just years and years of this clinging to each other. And you see two lives that become one. Let's finish the sermon looking at point number 4 and notice our perseverance in marital love. Look at verse 33 with me. Nevertheless, let every one of you, in particular, so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Perseverance or persistence rather, persistence. Perseverance works as well. Pick your word. You know what makes, you know what the difference between a marriage that lasts and a marriage that doesn't? Oftentimes, both, both, both marriages go through tough times. One throws in the towel and gives up, the other one doesn't. Oftentimes when I preach a sermon like this, I'll give a disclaimer at the beginning, so instead I'll give it at the end. Please hear me on this. Some of you are sitting here and, and I can see that listening to a sermon like this is hard. Because you're divorced. Some of you, I know your case is quite well and you did everything you could. If both the husband and the wife are not committed to a biblical model and just give it enough time, it's going to fall apart. No matter how hard you try. And I don't preach this sermon today to judge you. I don't preach this sermon today to make you feel guilty because your marriage didn't work. I preach this sermon today for those that are married, married, so they'll 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 make it. I preach this sermon today for our youth. I preach this sermon today for those sitting in the room who might be in a relationship where you're living together. Listen, I'm not here to judge you for living together. God will be your judge, but can I tell you, just take the plunge and be committed. Just get married. Do it God's way. God's way is the best way. And I love you. If I'm your pastor and you're sitting here today and you're living together, listen, I'm not judging you. I want to love you. And Pastor Morales has shared his testimony both on paper and in person many times. He and Trina lived together before they got married. But they got saved and they made a decision, we need to get this thing right. And they just went ahead right away and got married. So do it the right way. God, that doesn't mean God's not done with you. That doesn't mean God can't use you. Just do it the biblical way. But you must be persistent. Quickly, letter A, notice the word responsibility. Responsibility. Husbands, you have a responsibility to love your wife. Wives, you have a responsibility to reverence or follow your husband. So, under responsibility, you can write husband, love, wife, reverence. Responsibility. Next, notice the word reward. Letter B, reward. Here's the cool thing about how this works. My responsibility is to love Angela. Her reward is getting loved. Her responsibility is to reverence me. My reward is being reverenced. See how this works? As I love her, it inspires her to reverence me. And as she reverences me, it inspires me to want to love her. But here's what happens. Instead of focusing on our responsibility, we focus on our reward. And if I'm not getting my reward, then I'm not giving you yours. The first time I heard this concept preached was... Pastor Morales, I was a 17 year old boy sitting in the back of his, or 18 year old boy sitting in the back of his Sunday school class and he covered these responsibility reward words. And Pastor Morales, I just want to tell you in front of everyone, this has stuck with me. I've used this hundreds of times, both in my own marriage and to help other couples. So thank you for teaching this so many years ago. But here's the truth. We must not focus on our reward. If every husband in this room will go home and just commit to love your wife, regardless of how uh, be, uh, how, how she behaves, and every wife in here will commit to love or uh, reverence her husband, regardless of how he behaves, given enough time and with God's help, you may just see them come around to doing their responsibility. God's plan for marriage is beautiful. We must follow His model and take what the world has taught us and throw it out. Let's not worry about being politically correct. Let's worry about being biblically biblically correct. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, thank you today for the Word of God and how it just applies to everything. Marriage truly is hard work. We must set aside our brokenness and we must commit to loving our spouses with a devoted and deferential love. And Lord, this is challenging. But Lord, it is so important. My prayer today is that husbands and wives would cling to each other, would confess their own wrongdoings, and would commit to focusing on their responsibility and setting to the side, not focusing or worrying about the reward. Help us to be men that love our wives. Help the wives to commit to following their husbands. And Lord, we pray that as we follow your model, you'll bless our marriages. This church cannot be strong if the marriages within it are not strong. And so, Lord, help us to love each other in Jesus' name.